Uh, our word today comes from Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the, God, of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the standard of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro from the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the reading of the word. You may be seated. You know, on Christmas Day this year, uh, we were giving gifts to our girls, and one of the gifts that we gave to our youngest, Cece, was a remote control car. I don't know if it was more of a gift for me or for her. Either way, she got the gift, and uh, we knew that she was going to enjoy it. So like any remote control car, though, you had to um, you know, charge up the battery to get it ready, and we got it ready, we got it all charged up. Turned it on, turned on the remote control, and then, you know, started to get it to go. But immediately as the car started to drive, we noticed something. It couldn't turn right or left. And so, well, I mean, remote control cars are fun, but if they only go in one direction, you know, they're only so fun. And so I was like, oh, goodness. You know, as a, as a kid, she's excited to start playing with the car. As an adult, I'm excited as well. And, and I'm like, bummer, this thing isn't being able to turn. And so... I thought, well, we could just immediately return it, or let me see if I can just open it up and see if I can. What? You guys don't trust. Well, you're going to find out something about me today, okay? So, so <laughs> you're partially right. So I open it up, and, uh, and, and I look at, at the mechanism. I'm thinking, okay, you know, maybe it seems like it's getting power to the rear wheels because it's starting to go, but, but the front is not turning. So, so sure enough, I open it up and it was a simple fix, okay? I could see that one of the connectors uh, to, the, to the little motor that controlled the steering had not been soldered on appropriately. And so I was like, oh, this is, you know, pretty easy fix. And so I went ahead and I soldered it, but here's what happened. Uh, so I solder it, it works well, but inside that little component, where the motor is, that motor is connected to a whole bunch of little plastic gears. And those gears sit just very easily in a compartment. They're not like, you know, built into it. They're just all connected together. And so as I went to set the car, all the gears flew out of this little <laughs> compartment. Now, I didn't pay attention to what those gears looked like because I wasn't anticipating that when I set it down, the gears would go flying everywhere. And so what ended up should have been, you know, about a 10-minute project, took two hours, and then I tried to put all the gears, does this gear go here, how does that work, and turn it on, and, you know, and then put the gears back in. But eventually, I got it all working, and the car still works to this day. Yay, hooray for me, right? Yeah, good, good. Thank you. Thank you. So I share that with you because 
when those gears went all out, I realized something that those gears are very important. And the way that those gears are to be put back together is very important. You couldn't just put them back willy-nilly. Not only were each and every one of them important, but they were important to be connected to one another in such ways to make that car work. And that car, when it worked, ultimately brought us a lot of, of joy. And it's been fun to be able to play with that remote control car. And when we come to our passage of Scripture today, I've, I've thought about what happened there because... Listen, I love God's Word. I love all of it. I love the opportunity to, to teach all of it. But you come to some passages like this passage this morning, it's, and it's not like, you know, your kids. You know, you're not supposed to have favorites or anything like that. But there are some passages that as a pastor in ministry, as I come to it, I realize that when we rightly understand it and what it has to say to us as the church, as individual Christians— Man, there's so much blessing that comes that when we don't understand a passage like this, it's like having a remote control car that could be just bring so much joy to your life. But if you don't know how it all kind of comes together, how it's supposed to function, you're going to miss out on, on so, so much. And so church, listen, this passage this morning is the passage that's written to Christians and for Christians. Like it is really directed at those who have been saved and redeemed and transformed. In fact, the context of this entire passage is you got to get this. You got to understand that this passage applies to and is for you who have been changed and redeemed and given new life in Jesus Christ. And, and if you understand this passage as God proclaims it to us, then there's going to be a lot more joy in your life. It's going to open and expand your mind to this thing called the church. And so I just, I can't wait to attempt to try and get through all of it with you this morning so that you and I can have a great joy in who we are. And so so if you're ready to learn and if you're ready to grow, I hope you've already opened your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to go through verses 7 through 16 this morning. We heard the passage read, but, but here's what I want to start with this morning. What I want to start with this morning is just laying out for you the main idea of this entire passage. I hope you're paying attention as it was read because here's the main thought of Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 16, and it is this. God gives every Christian spiritual gifts and gives Christians as gifts to his church so that the church grows spiritually and numerically. Now, that's not in your notes, okay? That main idea is not in your notes. That's just there for you to just kind of see it. But it's that God gives to every Christian spiritual gifts and gives Christians, that is you and me, as gifts to his church so that the church grows spiritually, as we'll see, but also numerically. That is that more people become a part of this thing called the church. At its core, these verses are God speaking to us about the purpose of the church, how it functions, and the role that each one of us plays as new creations, as a redeemed people, as his adopted sons and daughters. You see, in the passage right before this, we saw this last week, the focus of Paul, the, the book of Ephesians has turned, turned a page, if you will. The, la the first three chapters are all about doctrine and what Jesus Christ has done, who we are and what we have received because of Jesus Christ. Then in chapter four, he turns and he says, based upon who you are because of what Christ has done, not in order to earn God's favor, not in order to be worthy, 
But because you are these people, because you are these things, he says, walk in a manner worthy. And so there's this focus on your individual, my individual, walking in a manner worthy, displaying who we are and what we have received. But then when we come to these verses, what we discover is that your growth, my growth, it's not an isolated thing. It's not something that we do on our own. In fact, what this passage says is that each of us plays a part in each other's lives so that we would walk in a manner worthy. And it starts with this in verse 7. Look at what it says. But grace was given to each one of us. And the us there is in reference to individual believers in Jesus Christ, those saved by grace. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So what does Paul say was given to each one of us? Grace, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, grace up to this point, we've talked about very clearly, it refers to, to unmerited favor. It refers to, to receiving a gift that you do not in any way deserve. And up to this point, grace has been talked about as the gift of salvation, you being brought from death to life, you being forgiven of your sins. Now here, though, grace, because it's tied to this measure of Christ's gifts, is referring specifically to, to spiritual gifts. And so what Paul is coming and telling us here is that every Christian is given spiritual gifts by God. How many Christians are given spiritual gifts by God? Every Christian is given spiritual gifts. The grace being referred to here is a spiritual gift, the spiritual gifts that are given to us. And we know that the grace he's talking about are spiritual gifts because of how the rest of the chapter plays out and that he talks about this being a gift that comes from Christ. You see, in Romans and 1 Corinthians, Paul goes into greater detail to explain this. I want you to look at this passage, Romans 12, 4 through 6. Listen to what Paul said when he wrote to the Romans. He's writing a very similar thing that he does to the believers in Ephesus. In, in Romans 12, 4, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This, this we've seen. Like to be part of the church is we're connected. Remember we talked about being brothers and sisters, part of one body. But then look at what he says. All of us who are connected to one another having gifts that differ according to the what? Grace given to us. Here again, he's talking about gifts being and spiritual gifts being gifts of grace. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith and he goes on and, and on. So what Paul is addressing here in Ephesians chapter 4 is he's saying, do you know that every Christian has been given a spiritual gift by God? And Paul's not the only one who talks about us receiving the grace of spiritual gifts. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. Look at this verse. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as a steward of God's varied what? Grace. Do you see that? So when Paul talks about that each one of us has received uh, this, this grace as a measure of Christ's gifts to us, he's honing in on this idea of spiritual gifts, how God gives to every Christian spiritual gifts. And, and so listen, what that means first and foremost is that every person in this room who is in Jesus Christ, saved by Jesus Christ, forgiven and redeemed, receives from the Lord spiritual gifts. You and I are not just a recipient of forgiveness. We're not just recipients of God's love. We're not just recipients of the unsearchable riches in Christ Jesus. Paul now comes and says, you and 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 you, you have received spiritual gifts from God. 
Now, what is a spiritual gift? <laughs> like, that's part of the thing. People are like, okay, I've received this thing, but, but what is it? Have you ever gotten a gift like that? I've shared this story a lot, long time ago. I remember at Christmas one time, my aunt, she, she, she gave me a gift, and it was in the form of a card, and, and I opened it up, and, and, and it was one of those uh, savings account deposits that accrue value over time. And I remember as like a five-year-old being like, what is this gift? <laughs> And sometimes with spiritual gifts, it's like, all right, Dave, I got a spiritual gift, but what's the value? I don't know. Like, what, what is it for me? Well, let me define the spiritual gifts here for a moment and then look at it a little bit more intently. There's three passages outside of this one, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, where, where God's word talks about spiritual gifts, and every single one of them says the same thing. Spiritual gifts are abilities given by God. So these, these, these abilities given by God to Christians, spiritual gifts only come to followers of Christ for the purpose of serving and edifying other believers. So what's a spiritual gift? It's these, these supernatural abilities, but I don't want you to think like being able to lift a car over your head. That's not the supernatural I'm talking about here. But it's these abilities given by God to Christians for the purpose of serving and edifying other believers. Check me on that. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. All of them communicate that these are what spiritual gifts are. They're not innate talents, okay? They're not innate talents. They're not, some of you and some of, well, all of us, we have certain affinities towards and certain abilities that are different than, than others. Uh, let's just be straightforward. Some people are naturally more detail-oriented than others, Right? Some people just have this natural ability to work well with numbers and organize things. Some people are better engineers. Some are more creative, both either musically or artistically. Some are naturally more nurturing than others. Some are more gifted communicators. Listen, there's just a lot of natural abilities that people give. Even unbelievers have these abilities. Spiritual gifts, though, differ. They are things given by God to you and to me for the purpose of edifying and serving others in the church. Sometimes there's crossover with our natural gifting, but, but they're a distinct thing because they come from God. Look at what 1 Peter 4.10 says again. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. See, it comes to us from God, and it's to be used to serve others. It's not served to make much of ourselves. We can use our natural giftings to make much of us, to build our kingdoms, to build up a following, whatever it might be, these gifts are used for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, I love this passage. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So whatever gift you've received, I've received, it's for the good of somebody else. And we're going to see in just a moment how important that is. Now let me say this again. How many Christians get spiritual gifts? Oh, let me try one more time all together now. How many Christians get spiritual gifts? Oh. Is there any Christian who does not have a spiritual gift? No. no. Do you believe that? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> see, that's the thing that we have to see. Today, as you sit here, if you are in Christ, you have these gifts. And Peter says that they fall into one of two categories. They are, they're speaking gifts, and then they're serving gifts. Okay, I don't have time to go into great detail of this, but when you look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11, he, he categorizes that there's kind of these two gifts. They fall into either speaking gifts or into these acts of service type gifts. 
And sure enough, when you look at Paul's writing in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, he says the same thing. He talks about the gift of teaching, exhortation, prophecy, these, these speaking gifts. And then he talks about gifts of service, generosity, giving, leading, acts of mercy, utterances of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, speaking gifts, healing, miracles, helping, administrating. There are these, these gifts that are used. Some are, some are gifts that we use that, to speak into each other's lives, to serve one another through the words that we say whether through instruction in the word of God, words of encouragement. And then there are these gifts that are used that are, that are more physical in nature where we come alongside and we give of ourselves, we serve, we, we do those things that, that help our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, some of you are gonna be asking, so what's my spiritual gift? Have you ever wondered about that? Like some of you have been in the church a long time and you're like, you know, I know the Bible talks about spiritual gifts. Dave, you say, I have a spiritual gift or I have spiritual gifts because, by the way, the Bible doesn't just say that you just got, uh, boom, you just got one gift. And by the way, the Bible doesn't just say that you have one gift for all of your life. Do you know that? Man, there are so many misperceptions about spiritual gifts. It really, I say this in love, annoys me. But the people are like, oh, I have this gift or I have, I have that gift. Listen, you ain't got nothing, all right? It comes to you from God, and it comes to you when God wants you to have it for the benefit of others. You can't claim a spiritual gift for the entirety of your life. Did you know that? Like, there's nothing in the Bible that says once you have a gift, it's just one gift. God can use because they're gifts that he gives for the building up of his body. And so in any given time, he can equip his people with the gifts to build one another up. Are you tracking with me? And sometimes in certain churches, they're like, oh, I have this spiritual gift so that I could never be used in that way. That's limiting to God. Do you like limiting God? I don't. I don't think it's good. And so, so we have these gifts, all of us. And so you might say, well, so what's my spiritual gift? You know what? The answer to that is God knows. God knows exactly what your gift is. You said, Dave, that doesn't help me. Well, I hope it does. God knows your gift. And so how do you figure out what your spiritual gift is? Church, what's the purpose of the gifts? To serve and to build up other believers in the church. So you know the way that you figure out what gift God has given you in a given moment? Serve others in the church. Look, be outward focused. And do you know that you don't need a specific program in the church to use your gift? It's like, it's like, well, let me see. We got ushers, we got greeters, we got children's ministry, we got youth ministry. You know, all right, my spiritual gift can only work within one of those. No, spiritual gifts are used for the edification and the building up of the body of, of Christ. And so it just means look for those whom God has put around you and pour into their lives. Find ways that you can speak into their lives. Come alongside of them. And God uses you through the gifts that he gives you to build those people up. But if you're not serving others, if you're not outward focused, if you're only inward focused, you'll never be able to see the gifts that God gives you on display because the gifts that he gives you are for who? You? No, they're for who? Others. And so you want to know what your spiritual gift is. The best counsel that I can give is the counsel that the word of God gives. Seek to serve others through your words and through your actions. And then when people are blessed and built up, oh, church, that's when God is glorified and you can give testimony to the spiritual gift that God gave you on display. You see, here's something to remember. According to this passage, who gives the spiritual gifts? Christ. 
Christ gives the spiritual gifts. And Paul makes this point in this kind of confusing set of verses. Look with me at verses 7 through 8 for just a moment. In 7 through 8, Paul talks about this. Let me just read it, and then we'll get to it. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and he's quoting Psalm 68 here, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, now this is Paul commentating on Psalm 68, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is kind of a confusing passage. Paul, what are you talking about? You're talking about God giving spiritual gifts, and then you talk about Christ descending and ascending. What's, what's going on here? Well, Psalm 68 was a passage originally used to refer to God's redemption of Israel out of Egypt, how God was victorious in redeeming Israel out of Egypt. But what Paul is doing is he's recognizing that this verse was actually pointing not just to Israel being redeemed, but pointing to the work of Jesus Christ in coming down to the earth. That's what he meant is he, he descended, him taking on human flesh, coming to this earth and performing the work of dying on the cross for us. And that when he rose from the dead, when he had that vic victorious victorious resurrection from the dead, there were these fruits and there were these spoils of wars that came. And one of the spoils of the, of the war, part of the victory they won was this, spiritual gifts are the fruit of Christ's victorious resurrection. That's the point that he's trying to make. Now you might say, Dave, well, what's, what's, what's such a big deal about this? Why is Paul pointing us to the truth that because Jesus Christ died and rose, not only are for sins forgiven, but that, that then was Christ being enabled to give to us spiritual gifts, that spiritual gifts are literally the spoils of his victory over death. Why is that so important? Well, in sports today, when someone wins a championship, what do they receive, church? This was not a trick question. When a sports team wins a championship, what do they receive? A trophy. Do you know why sports teams get trophies? It's to show that they are what? The champions. In the olden days, the way that you knew that someone was a champion, that a country had won a victory over another country, was, was that they took back the spoils of war. And so today, we don't quite do that, but instead in sports, we give teams these trophies that they then present in their offices or in their towns to say that we are the champions, the victors. Church, listen to what I'm about to say so very carefully because I guarantee most of us has never even thought about that. This passage is telling us as a church that the spiritual gifts you have and that I have are the display to each other and to the world of Christ's victory over the grave. What that means is the gifts that you have are God's trophy case. They're a display that when you and I serve with our spiritual gifts, which we would be unable to do apart from 
God giving us those gifts, when you serve one another, when people are blessed by the gifts that we give to one another, listen to me, church, when I say this. What you're seeing is the display of Christ's victory over the grave. Consider that, that when a Christian ministers to another Christian, and that Christian is blessed, and they are encouraged, and they are built up, that is a display of Christ's victorious resurrection. So in our church every day, your life and my life becomes a testimony that Jesus Christ is alive and he conquered sin and death and hell and he gave you a new life. Consider that. When you watch, Marty, I'm gonna pick on you just for a second in a good way. When I come in, I see Marty helping out and she is serving the church with the name tags. When I see Bill Sands using his chainsaw and cutting down trees for someone in the church. When I see Leslie coming and serving and speaking to the women of our church, those are displays that the victory Jesus Christ won was real. He's the champion. Amen. Amen. Have you ever considered that? That when your child comes to faith in Jesus Christ and takes out the trash to bless the family, (laughs) you're thinking, have you ever gone up to him and said, that's a display of Christ's glory? Do you see how this changes things? This is why he quotes Psalm 68. It's because he wants us to know that every Christian, when we use our gifts to the glory of God, to benefit others, we're displaying the truth that Christ is not dead, but he is alive, and he is reigning now. Spiritual gifts, this is huge. Every Christian is given spiritual gifts. But the passage does not just stop there. It does not just simply say that we receive spiritual gifts. Look at verse 11. And he then gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Not only are people given spiritual gifts, for use in the church, but people themselves and the roles they fulfill are gifts to the church. Every church is given by God people who help the church fulfill its mission. Not just are you given spiritual gifts for the benefit of others, but then the church itself has been given by Christ people who help the church fulfill its mission. Now, before we look at who these people are and the list that he gives here, let us consider first, why are they given to the church? I I said it there in 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 the point, but look at verse 12. Why does he give the people that he gives? The answer is to equip the who? Saints. Who are the saints? Are those a special group of Christians? Are saints, you know, those those really more righteous people in the church? Who are the saints? Us, all of us. I love this passage. I said, this passage is for Christians, church. This passage is for us. It says, we're the holy ones today. Not because of what we do, but because of who Christ is. And so it says, he gives these people to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. 
God gives people to the church for what purpose? He gives them to the church in order to equip the saints. Now, what does it mean to equip? It is to provide what is needed for the mission. To provide what is needed for the mission. I've often, I don't want to, I don't want to go too dark here, but when you think about like Navy SEALs and they're given a mission to do, that they have the, the leader of their team who ultimately works in training each and every member of the team for the mission, then that leader is responsible for making sure that every member of the SEAL team has the right ammunition and equipment that's necessary. Like if the Navy SEALs are going to be diving as part of the mission, he's not going to pack a lot of Arctic gear, right, to help them go camping, right? He's got to make sure they have the right equipment, and he provides that. He makes sure his, his team has that. But is the leader of a SEAL team then just off on his own? No, he's part of the team itself, engaged in the mission, but he's making sure that everybody else has what they need. And so this is what Paul's coming and saying is God gives to the church certain people who come and help the members of the church, equip them for the mission. Now, what's our mission, church? What does God say, not just here, but elsewhere? This is where it's so important. What is the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist in this world? I'll tell you that some people come and they say, well, the purpose of the church is ultimately activism. It's to combat the ills of the world, to deal with poverty and to deal with, with hunger and disease. The, the purpose of the church is to, to help hurting people, to help hurting people. Or the purpose of the church is to spread the gospel. Now listen, none of these things is wrong in and of themselves, but the chief purpose of the church, God's chief purpose for the church, according to this text and elsewhere, is that the church might become fully grown, that each of its members might contribute to that maturity by becoming spiritually mature adults. That's what this text goes on to say. The purpose of the church is to be disciples of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. The church exists to glorify God by equipping the saints so that we become mature in Christ. That's what the passage clearly articulates, building up the body of Christ. As we do that, do we help hurting people? Yes. As we do that, do we help the poor? Yes. But the purpose of the church is to help one another and those who do not yet know that Jesus Christ is Lord and he changes lives. And when he changes lives, lives are, guess what? Changed. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's the purpose of the church. To proclaim that you can become a new creation and to help people live as new creations. Because we've been bought, redeemed, and changed by the blood of Jesus. So many times, we have a different view of what the church is to be in our lives. And the church's purpose in your life and your purpose in the church is to help one another become more like Jesus. And so when you, when you look at the list here, he tells, listen, there's a group of people that help us do that. And he goes through this list. I'm going to fly through this list, okay? He talks about apostles, that God gave to the church apostles. Who are the apostles? The apostles were those who first proclaimed the words of Jesus to the church. Those who were sent out specifically by Jesus. You had the 12, you had Paul. That's who the apostles were. Like, the church needed those who would first go out. And then he says that he also gave to the church prophets. Who were the prophets? Well, based upon the context, it's different from the gift of prophecy. But the prophets were those who, like the apostles, first proclaimed the words of Jesus to the church. 
As Old Testament prophets proclaimed God's word to the people of Israel, God gave to the early church those who would speak and confirm the words of Jesus, and not, not just what the apostles had to say, and these people were given to the church, because then he also says that he gave to the church evangelists. Who are the evangelists? Those who share the gospel with the world. Apostles and prophets, they were part of helping to found the church and establish the church. But then the evangelists, they continue on to this day. We call them missionaries. We call them those who, who go out and share the gospel. Now, does that mean that we aren't supposed to go and share the gospel? No. We're, we're all called. But there are those that God gives specifically to the church, gifted to do this work. And then finally, he comes and he talks about the, that he gives to the church shepherds and teachers, those who minister to local churches through teaching and care. And, and the reason why I have this as one group is because in the Greek, it's, it's one group of people, shepherds and teachers. All the other ones, when it says the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then it says the shepherds and teachers. And so in the Greek, when the article is with two things, he's referring to one office. These are today what we would have as the elders and the pastors, those who come alongside and care for the church. Just as the early church had apostles and prophets to establish and minister to the church, now the local church has shepherds and teachers. And so Paul says as clear as day that these roles, these people, God gives his gifts to the church. Why? So that the church can fulfill its God-given task. The church needs leadership that will come alongside and help the people Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If God gives people to the church's gifts who serve in this role, if God gives people as gifts to serve in this role, do you think that means that we need these people? Let me, let me try that one more time. If God gives people to the church to serve as gifts in these roles, does that mean that we need those people? Yes. I was talking with somebody not long ago who talked about a person who professed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And this person said to them, they said, listen, I don't, I don't need a local church. In fact, I just need God, the Holy Spirit, and my Bible. That's all that I need in my life. That's, that's what I need. In fact, I don't need anybody to teach or to instruct me because if I have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, that's all that I need. To which I would say, are we reading the same Bible? <laughs> Because does the Bible say that all you need is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and that's all that the Christian needs? No, it doesn't. It says it right here. It says that God, for your sake and for mine, gives people to us who shepherd us and who teach us and help us come to understand and grow in the Word of God. That we need equipping and that we don't come fully equipped on our own. That's what this text is saying. And that that's considered a gift. And so if we reject the need for the church or for leadership in our lives, we're rejecting a gift from God. Anybody here want to reject a gift that God gives you? If salvation is a gift and people are gifts, ooh, are you tracking with me? We don't want to reject the things that God gives. They have a place and a purpose in our life. And so I want to be able to receive the teaching and the instruction of others. I want to recognize that I need equipping and that I need help. And now to what end does it say that shepherds and teachers, why are they given to the church? It says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Church, this is huge. This is so important. Who does the work of the ministry? The shepherds and the teachers, the apostles and the evangelists? 
Yeah, let's try it all together. This is a very interactive Sunday morning. Who does the work of the ministry? It's the saints. We do. Who does the work of the ministry? We all do. Do you know why we can all do the work of the ministry? C.1. Because we've all been given what? Spiritual gifts. Do you see how transformative this entire passage is in helping you think of rightly about yourself, about the church, about church leadership? Like this is given by God to believers to help us understand and to live in the fullness of the joy of the life of the church of God. Man, you're going to miss out on so much joy if you don't know that you've been gifted for other people. You're going to miss out on so much joy if you think that you don't need anybody speaking in your life, helping you grow and equipping you. You're going to miss out on so much joy in your life because you're going to be rejecting God's gift if you don't engage in the work of the ministry because that's why you've been gifted. That's what you've been saved into. That's what you've been transformed to be. And when you embrace these things, here's where the joy comes. Every Christian... Every single Christian, no matter who they are, is to be engaged in the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ. Every Christian is called to care for and encourage others in Christ-like maturity. And you know why I say that? Let me read these verses one final time. Picking up in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. How long do we do the work of the ministry until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are all of us to grow up in every way in what way into which way into him who is the head who is the him christ he's saying we are to grow up to display in our lives more and more every single day the aim and the focus of our of our growth and our speaking into each other's lives and and doing the work of the ministry is to see each other look more like christ Why? Because it's from Christ whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in what? Love. What Paul is saying here, what God is speaking to us is this. We need one another. The purpose of your placement here in the church is not just so that I can pour into you and so that other people can pour into you. The church isn't just a place where we just sit and receive. The church is a place where we both receive and where we give. And the purpose of our giving and our receiving is so that each of us would encourage one another to know the new life we have in Jesus and to walk in a manner worthy. I think about it in this way. You know, we don't do a lot of these, but sometimes we do. We have potlucks in the church, or sometimes they call them providence meals. I mean, come on, you'll get that joke later. But (laughs) have you ever been to a potluck? I think we've all been there, right? What makes a really good potluck? Well, the, the food, sure. But it's that everybody has enough, right? When I was in college, I was invited to a Super Bowl party. 
and it was all college students and it was a potluck. That's a problem. <laughs> Asking a bunch of college-age students to bring food to a potluck, like, is there going to be enough food? Because the purpose of a potluck is to bring so that everybody has enough to enjoy. There's this mutual giving and, and receiving. Fortunately, in the wisdom of the leaders of the potluck, the wife of the leader was an amazing chef. She knew that we would all fail in bringing enough, and so she provided more than enough. If she hadn't, we would have missed out. We wouldn't have been nourished. We, we wouldn't have had the food that we needed. Church, like this is how the church is supposed to function. We're supposed to bring to the table what God has given us in service of one another. And when each person is serving in that way, the church gets built up. It's got enough. It's got enough for nourishment. But when a body has a bunch of people sitting there that all that they're doing is receiving, and this does not mark Valley Center Community Church. This is not a rebuke of this church. I want you guys to know that because I feel like this is a church where we're giving and we are receiving. But when a, when a church does not do that, then, then the church, it starves. You can't just have those who are on the staff or the elders building up the body. We need one another in this. And we build each other up in love. There are no spectators in the church. We're all participants. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. There are no spectators. You are not a spectator. I'm not a spectator. How do we ultimately do this? How, how do we build one another up? What does that, what does that look like? I'm going to fly through these things in closing because I just have two more things to say after it. It's one, it's that the text says that we're responsible for imparting knowledge of God to one another. It's not just Pastor Dave. It's not just the elders. We are all responsible for imparting knowledge of God to one another. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. We have a calling, according to this, to impart God's word to one another. You might say, well, I don't know his word that well. You know it better than somebody else. Find that person. <laughs> and then, for those of you that don't know that word that well, find somebody who knows God's word even better, who can impart that knowledge to you. Are you, are you following with me? Like, this thing works, right? Like, we know how the gears all go back together. But too many times we're like, I, I just don't know enough. There is somebody in this body who you are six months further along in your Bible reading plan than they are. <laughs> and you can speak into their lives. This isn't just my job. It's all of our jobs. We're also called at helping others apply knowledge of God to their lives. It's not just, it's not just saying this is what God's word says, but it's helping one another work through what's the application of God's word in my life and your life. You might say, Again, I don't know how to do that, Dave, to which I say, wonderful. So what are you going to do about that? Who are you going to go to? What are you going to participate in so that you can be, what's the word I'm thinking of here? What did it say next? Oh, equipped to do the work of the ministry. See, we're called to be what? Equipped to do the work of the ministry. And so if you don't feel like you can do any of these things, God says, oh, that's right, I gave these people to the church that are supposed to help you do that. <laughs> See how it all works together. And then we're called to serve others in the church, to come alongside. See, you got the speaking gifts, you got the serving gifts. It, we're called to build one another up in love, serving others in the church. That means giving of time, that means giving of energy, that gives of mental energy, emotional energy, spiritual energy for the sake of others. 
And then at the very end there in verse 16, it's not just that the body gets built up and solidified, it's also that the body grows, and that's proclaiming the gospel to the world. This is what we are to do and be and look like because this is who we already are. People gifted, people who are placed in this church for the glory of God. And so I just want to close with saying two things. There's like a million more things that I could say, not enough time, but I know we'll come back to some of this. Last things I want to say is this. Number one, we are to be concerned for and invested in one another's spiritual development and care. If there's one thing I want you to hear from me today, it's based not upon what David Wachnicki thinks because, you know, that and $25 will get you a cup of coffee. We are, based upon what God's word says, to be invested in the spiritual care and growth and development of one another. Do you believe that to be true? Next question that you need to ask yourself is, are you? Are you engaged in the care and spiritual development of someone else in the church? Let me just be clear, it starts in the home, right? Like if you have a church, but then you have your immediate family, like that's your primary ministry. And then you look beyond your family and say, who are others in the church that I need to be pouring into? Are there others? Is it one relationship, two relationships? Am I caring? Am I intentional? Maybe it's my connection group. Then it expands from there to, to broader ministry in the church. But, but listen, we can't look at this passage. God has given us what he's given us for this purpose. And then I leave you with this. What all of this means is this. Each of us is always and will always be necessary to one another in this church. Each of us is and always will be necessary in this church. Did you know that? This passage is saying that if you are saved by Jesus Christ, it's in your DNA not just to simply grow as a Christian, but you are necessary for me and I am necessary for you. There's not one person at Valley Center Community Church in Christ who I don't need and that you don't need. You are precious and you are necessary. God has given you gifts for me and we're gifts to one another. And so how do we think about our lives? I want to close with a quote from Paul Tripp. I think it's so powerful. Church, hear what he has to say. Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness. And he wants you to be a part of it. And Paul, I would change that. I would say you already are a part of that. Praise be to God. May he help us put on and display what he has said here. Let's pray together. Lord, we are your people, a people transformed and brought from death to life. But then as you are expounding to us here in your word and being brought from death to life, you give us these spiritual gifts. You give people as then gifts to your church to help us use our spiritual gifts. And so every person is valuable and necessary to accomplish your glorious task of bringing 
glory to your name as we are transformed in the likeness of Christ. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here today that just feels like, I don't know that I could be of any use or service, Lord, help them to know that that thought doesn't come from you. It comes from the flesh because you have given them the ability to serve within your body. Lord, we don't always know what that looks like. It doesn't look like preaching on Sunday morning, Lord. Help us to see that lives are transformed in the one-to-one, day-to-day interaction and ministry to one another. And so, Lord, help us continue to be a church that embraces who we are so that we live out this ministry. And, Lord, where we need help to grow, Lord, may we be humble enough to call out to others and say, help me. Help me look more like Jesus because I am righteous. I am a saint. I am transformed. But I need to be equipped. And so, Lord, thank you that we can call on you and we can call on your body to the praise and glory of your name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.